Hello, and welcome to the podcast where our goal is to remind you that amidst the chaos and craziness of the world, there is still plenty of good that's worth shouting about. In each episode, we're going to be joined by nonprofit professionals, leaders, experts, and advocates to hear their stories, facilitate connection within the nonprofit sector, and hopefully put a smile on your face, because that's always nice. This is Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. Let's share some good. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. That's me. I'm Matt Barnes. I'm the guy that's hosting this podcast. And the reason why we call it Nonprofit Connect, if you're just joining us for the first time, is because we're trying to connect nonprofits. That's where we got really creative with the name. But the whole goal of this and the live events that we do here in Orange County, California, is to bring nonprofits together so you guys can learn from each other, grow, become more effective, and ultimately help more people. That's the whole goal. So if you're just joining us, welcome. We bring in guests to share their insights and their wisdom. And today is no exception to that. We have an amazing guest and a good friend of mine who I've met because we've been working with him for the last seven years. His name is Matthew Wadlinger. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at CASA of Orange County. CASA is the Court Appointed Special Advocates. They do an amazing job. Matthew will tell you more in detail, but the overview is CASA provides an amazing voice for youth in the child welfare system. They provide one-on-one relationships with trained and supervised court-appointed volunteer advocates. And it's a really cool program. They're a nationwide organization with local chapters or franchises. I'm not exactly sure what the term there is, but throughout the country. And they do amazing, amazing work. We've been working with them literally since the day we started here at Rogue. Matthew himself, he's demonstrated a huge history of working in the nonprofit organization management industry. He's strong media and communication professional. He's skilled in nonprofit organizations, fundraising, marketing, PR, event management, community outreach, youth development, and case management. Over the past decade, he has worked in a variety of capacities at CASA, ranging from program associate in 2010 to chief communications officer in 2018 before taking his position as chief strategy officer in 2021. And you'll find out in this interview that he actually also started as the receptionist at CASA. <laughs> and that's a, just a cool story. Matthew also spent a period of six months working as the director of marketing and communications at the Orangewood Foundation earlier in 2021. He kind of took a little break, went over there, and then came back to CASA. Today's episode is a great one, actually. You're going to get a lot of practical advice on uh, how we can use marketing tools to grow an organization, volunteer engagement, fundraising and marketing alignment and strategies. And uh, we'll be right back with Matthew Wadlinger from CASA right after this. We are brought to you by Rogue Creatives. I started Rogue Creatives in 2016 because I saw so many people doing amazing things, like life-changing work. And either they're spending all their time trying to figure out how to connect with people and get their story out there instead of doing what they love, what they got into it to do, and what they were good at, or... They ignored all that, and they just did what they loved, but not enough people knew about them, or nobody knew about them, even worse. My background is in education and organizational leadership. When I was doing my master's in education, I learned that the best way to educate someone, to connect their heads and their hearts, is through story. In my organizational leadership program, I learned how to help an organization define its character, its voice, its values, its personality. So I took the best of those, and I combined them to create the strategic storytelling framework that we use at Rogue Creatives to define an organization's character so that we could tell their story while freeing the organization up to do what they do best. 
We've helped dozens of nonprofits define their personalities and increase their reach as they bring new donors and volunteers into their stories. And as you well know, more donors means more money, means more people getting the help that they need. And that means the world's becoming a better place because of the character in your story. So get started today by visiting roguecreatives.com slash NPC. That's NPC for Nonprofit Connect. And schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. That's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to begin defining your brand character today. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And come on, don't you want to meet us? We're super fun, I promise. Rogue Creatives. Seriously. Creative storytelling. Okay, enough from me. Back to me. And our guest. Okay, I am here with my friend, Matthew Wadlinger from Casa. Thank you for having me. Dude, thanks for coming. Of course. As soon as we decided to do this podcast, I had my like list of people who were for sure going to be on it. And of course, you were at the top of that list. Thank you. So this is, gosh, our third episode that we've recorded. I don't know what order they're all coming out in, but we start every episode in the history of this podcast with, <laughs> with a thing we call random questions. Okay. okay, so I've got a list of a lot of random questions, and then I randomly, I have a generator that randomly chooses three. Okay. So I'm going to ask you three very random questions to okay. get us started. Just, right. you know, break the ice. Okay. Yeah. What is your go-to karaoke song? I would never do karaoke. And you probably, yeah, I would think that you would know that about me. Super introvert, getting yeah. on stage, that would be very intimidating for me to kind of take on that. But that being said, when I'm in the gym, oh, okay. the song that I kind of vibe to and where I would imagine maybe one day if I, you know, had a couple drinks. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. of course. The BB King, Stand By Me. Oh, in the gym? Yeah, it's in my gym mix. Is that weird? I don't know. It's not one that you would think of as a gym yeah, song necessarily. I, but I don't know. I don't know how it got in there, but it's in there and I vibe to it. And I think if it's I a was great ever, song. yeah, yeah. And if I was ever, in, and it has a nice melody to it. So if I was ever in that situation and if I felt comfortable enough, that would be the one. Okay. What about you? Can I ask you? Yeah, no, you can't ask me any questions. <laughs> I am a closed book. No, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Oh, great. Yeah. Good one. That seems to be my good. I did, in fact, we did a birthday party for my cousin here at Road Collective a couple weeks ago and we did a karaoke night. And nice. That was my, great. that was my jam. Great. Question two. Is Disney making too many live-action versions of its animated movies? <laughs> I don't think I'm following it closely enough. Okay. I know there was the Lion King one. Yeah. What else was They did Aladdin. Aladdin. They got Little Mermaid coming out this oh, weekend. Oh, yeah, Little Mermaid's coming out. They announced they're doing Moana, and I'm like, dude, that just you just came out with that. Yeah. Are we, we're already doing this? Yeah, it yeah. seems a little soon. I'm not a super Disney person, so I don't think I really okay. have a strong opinion okay. on that. That's okay. Yeah, okay. No, you know, <laughs> they're random questions. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Last question. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I think I'm right where I want to be right now. And so I'm 37. I'm the chief strategy officer at CASA. Yeah. And I feel really great about that. You know, what the future has in store for me... I don't know, but I'm just going to roll with it and see where it takes me. But I'm really happy with where I am right now. Well, that's good. Yeah. Do you feel like you are anywhere near where you thought you would be when you were a kid? I think I've surpassed it, okay. to be honest with you. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like, you know, when you were a kid, like, did you think I'm going to be an astronaut or a whatever? Or did you? No, no, no. I think growing up, I, I probably had the very more simple job professions in mind that were like, I want to be a doctor or a sure. lawyer or just someone that's making a difference out there and that has a job that like has some prestige associated with it. Sure. Well, when you're a kid, yeah, you, I mean, yeah. that's, that's yeah, yeah, that. yeah. And that's where you go. And then, you know, over time it transferred into this and, yeah. and I'm very happy with where I am right now. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I feel kind of like a grown up. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the things you were just talking about, what drew you into the nonprofit sector? Good question. And I think I've shared this story with you in the yeah. past, Matt, is that growing up, my dad used to volunteer for the American Red Cross. So I grew up in New England, in New Hampshire and Maine. And so my dad, he was in charge of building out disaster relief shelters. So if there was a big snowstorm or oh, cool. a fire, he would be the person that they would call to like open up some sort of shelter at like a rec center or a school where people could go and get food and they would have cots out for the people to sleep and electricity and water and everything that they would need. And the next day, the next morning, whatever, he would take my younger brother and I with him and we would help out in different ways. So we would pass out water bottles to people. We would shovel walkways to get into the shelters, just do whatever we could. And so my dad did this in addition to his own job, but you know, probably one or two times a month that he would get a call to do something yeah. like this. And so I always saw my dad kind of going above and beyond to help those people in need. And so it was just kind of instilled in the three of us, my, both my siblings, to kind of give back when you're able to. Yeah. And then when it came time for me to kind of like start figuring out my own profession, like it was just where I wanted to go. And, and I knew that, you know, of course, nonprofits, money's tighter and, you know, I might not be as wealthy as I want to be, but I knew that I would be intrinsically fulfilled pursuing this as a profession. So, right. Yeah, that's how I did it. And then, because you grew up in New England, like New Hampshire? Yeah, New Hampshire and Maine, yeah. Okay, and then what brought you out to California? I was living in Boston in 2010, and I had just finished grad school. And so we had like the recession in 2009, and then I was competing against like all those kids in Boston for sure. entry-level jobs, and it was very difficult. I, I got a job at Brandeis University in their admissions office, and then I was working at Big Brothers Big Sisters. And it just, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And then on top of that, it was freezing cold and there were snowstorms. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, if I'm going to struggle right now, I want to do it in a warm and sunny place. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up You don't up need here. to be struggling physically while you're struggling. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Totally. So I yeah, I moved out here and then it was only within a few months that I was able to get a job. And so everything kind of just fell in line and everything clicked. And so it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to more the main topics that we want to talk about. But I, briefly, I love your Casa origin story. Can you briefly share? Yeah, sure. Because I think it's you were well educated, you had experience, but you <laughs> wanted <laughs> you yeah. wanted to work at Casa, yeah, so yeah. you took a, an yeah, approach yeah. to get there. Thanks. So yeah, like I just mentioned, so I moved out here in August of 2010, and then I think it was in October that I saw a job posting for the receptionist at Casa. And so I applied, and the program director at the time, Linda Perring, she saw my resume. Her daughter was living in Massachusetts, and so I think that there was like a connection there that okay. she kind of saw. But she called me just to say, like, hey, you have a really impressive resume, but we're not going to interview for this position because you'll just leave. You have a master's degree. You know, you're overqualified. <laughs> right. And on the phone with her, I was just like, just let me come in and meet with you. Yeah. And like, I'm really passionate about CASA. In my grad school program, there was a girl in my cohort who had interned at CASA in New Hampshire. I, 
And she really enjoyed it. And she talked really highly about the program. So I loosely knew about it. And I had heard good things. And then when I was looking at the Casa of Orange County program, I was like, Oh, yeah, this is where I want to be. So I went in for the interview. And I pretty much just had to beg her for the job. And, <laughs> and luckily, she hired me. And then I served as a receptionist, I think, for seven or eight months. And then the first opening that they had, I applied for it. And then I got promoted. And then I've had probably six or seven different job titles over the last 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I love that, though. I mean, it was like you knew what you wanted and you, whatever you got to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. OK, so you are the chief strategy officer for Casa of Orange County. Briefly, I think a lot of people know what CASA is or what you guys do. But for those who don't, what's the quick? Yeah, so CASA, it's an acronym. It stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. It's a national program that started in 1976 in Seattle, Washington, by a judge who recognized that he was making really important decisions about the lives of kids in the foster care system with very limited information due to high caseloads that social workers and attorneys have. So. You know, he wanted to find a way to kind of get more information about these kids that he was working with. So he kind of started this model of nonprofit organization, recruiting, training, supervising community volunteers that are matched one on one with a youth in the foster care system. So our volunteers, they will mentor the kid. They we require two visits a month for at least a couple hours. And then in addition, they advocate for the kids. So they attend court hearings, team meetings, write court reports and just able to kind of be there in the way for a child that a guardian yeah. might be. And so they can advocate for those decisions. So very similar to a kind of a Big Brothers Big Sisters program, but then enhanced with this advocacy portion where you can really kind of affect change for the child that you're working with. Yeah. And the stories are incredible. I mean, we've worked together now for seven years with Rogue and Casa Orange County. And what drew us to work with you guys was just the stories you would share of, you know, the average caseworker in the foster system is got what 30 kids on their load and at least yeah so i mean even if they dedicated a work day per week to each of them that's not they can't even get to every one of them in a month and so to have one-on-one -on -one and you're training them to actually be able to represent them in court and all that it's amazing yeah like it's it's, in, it's incredible and it's changing these kids lives which you know we're just like yeah what can we do yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's always been so fulfilling to work with you guys because of that and easy to because you know when, when there's a good story it's easy to tell exactly yeah and i think that's why we have such a great relationship is because you guys are the masters at storytelling and you know how to kind of showcase that in a way that makes us look really good you know that's the goal yeah yeah <laughs> and then we have these really compelling stories yeah. i think to share but you know, even the name of our organization is a little bit convoluted. Sure. And so it can be hard, I think, for us to message it out. Like the elevator pitch, it like better be like a 50s story building that the elevator <laughs> rides on, you know, because it, it's a little bit of a mouthful, you know, yeah, to, get it it, to get it all out. You know, even CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates, like it's a long name. Yeah. And what we do is so different from child to child and how our volunteers work. It's every case is a little bit different because every child and human being is a little bit different. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, I'm we're, we're huge fans of CASA and, and of you and, and you. working together. Let's kind of get into because you're a lot of what you've overseen and oversee is marketing, which is why we work together yeah. so yeah. much. How do you take sort of the more analytical approach of marketing campaigns and then, you know, bring in the sort of human element of it with and combine those two things? How do you find that balance? Yeah, well, you know, zooming out, 
I have never taken, you know, a marketing class in my background, in my education background. So I'm coming from a different approach of just like what feels good, you know, and what do I feel like people resonate well to. And so you're right. I'm trying to intake a lot of data all the time. You know, when I meet new CASA volunteers, one of the first questions that I always ask them is, how did you hear about us? Because I'm interested yeah. in kind of getting that data because, yeah. you know, the two things that we need to keep our organization running are more volunteers. And then we need more dollars to sure. kind of fund the program. And so I'm always interested in how people are hearing about us. And I think across the board, it's always word of mouth. Yeah. from a friend, whether that be a new donor or a new CASA volunteer. And, you know, to that end, when people are talking about us, I want them to kind of have the stories and really kind of happy feeling when they think about our organization. Yeah. And you know this from kind of the historical work that we've done on like what we used to do in the past, which was, I think we would pull on people's heartstrings a lot more sure. and we would showcase kind of the sadness and, and a lot of the challenges that our kids were facing. And it was kind of depressing, yeah. you know, and when you focus too much on just how big the problems are, I think it can scare people away from feeling like they can even make an impact. For sure. And so when you guys came in and started helping us more, I think I think the focus really shifted to the positive. And, and I remember one thing that you shared with me is that like, you guys are a happy organization doing really good work for these kids. Yeah. Like, let's be happy about it. Let's, yeah. let's make things bright. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Right. And, and it's that feeling of inspiration, I feel like, that we've really kind of done an effective job at putting out there in the community is that we want to inspire you to know that you can make a difference, whether yes. you're donating or whether you're, you're donating your time or donating your money, that you can be an inspiration to one of these kids. And the power that comes from that and with connection is the thing that's going to change their life yeah. forever. Yeah. And so... We're definitely looking at the analytics, but everything is kind of showing that what we're doing is working yeah. well. You know, we're bringing in more money, we're bringing in more volunteers. And so I just want to keep forging ahead yeah. on this path that we're in. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. Some people don't get that. They're very so analytically minded. And I get that. I mean, I don't get it from a personal standpoint because that's not how I am, but I get how why some people lean that way. They want the proof. But there is there's the intangible there where you know you can kind of tell what's going to connect with people and you working with the volunteers and you have the experience to know, yeah, this isn't about following the data. The data, it sounds like what you're saying is the data is great to support. Yes, this is working or no, that's not working instead of this is what we, you know, we're going to do sample poll and find out what should we do on the, you know, that kind of thing. And that's a lot of the kind of direction we take. It's very much about like the character of the organization and how do we connect that with people and that's hard to quantify sometimes. Right. And I feel really lucky in my position that there's a lot of people that trust me right now to do this work. And so I know that we've talked in the past as well about, you know, kind of the uh, things can get very diluted very quickly. And then they're not as effective when you bring in a lot of people. And so, right. yeah, there is something great about getting the involvement and feedback of a lot of people into decisions. You know, I, I'm not slighting that at all. But when it comes to creative stuff is that I want to be a little bit bold. And, yeah. and I think that there's people at my organization that trust me 
to kind of lead that yeah. effort there. And so I'm really happy and excited with how we're showcasing ourselves right now in the community. Yeah. And that's been one of the fun challenges, I think, because you're working for an organization that is related to a larger organization. Yeah. So there's some guardrails there as far as with the branding and the things where it's we have to use these colors and these types of things. And we've tried over the years to push that in a couple different directions. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, but I think for us, it's been fun to go, OK, we can do that. But what can we bring additionally to bring some character to what we see happening here in Orange County and specific to your organization so that it's not taking away from what CASA National is, but adding to it and complementing it and saying, this is how this plays out here and bringing that some of that fun and some of that like, you know, excitement and, and that kind of thing to it. In some ways, it's been a challenge. I mean, it definitely has been a challenge for us. But it's been a fun challenge right. to, to do. Yeah. And so if there's anyone from, from National Casa listening to this, Matt has the policies <laughs> for the National Casa Gala. I do, so, I do. Yeah. So we're staying in the bounds of where we need to be. But you're right. It has been a challenge, but a fun one to stay kind of within the branding standards mm-hmm. of this national organization, because there's a lot of benefits that come from us sure. doing that with any of our promotional pieces and say, if someone from Atlanta sees something in Orange County, we want them to go pursue becoming a Casa in Atlanta, Absolutely. but to understand that we're the same organization. And then, yeah, what the stuff that we're doing right now, especially with like, you know, we've switched to a lot of this stuff with like cartoons. That yeah, represent, yeah, with illustrations. Yeah, thank you. And it's like a whimsical element. And it reminds people that we're working with children. I think when we use photographs, people know that's not really a kid in yeah. foster care. You know, that's kind of obvious. So we're not going to actually use them in our promo pieces. But we do use our Casa volunteers sure. when we have done photo shoots in the past. But yeah, I think the illustrations have been really great at showing diversity in a way that is very intentional and that I want people to see that anyone can become a Casa volunteer and that we're working with all sorts of types of kids in a good way of showing the stories as well. And so, yeah, I'm excited about that. I just want to build on that yeah. going forward. I was just talking to members of your team about stuff that I want to do for this coming year. Yeah. I'm building off of that. And so it's exciting. And and I, I love the pieces that we're doing right now. Yeah, it's yeah. been really fun. Okay. So to show you how good my team is at doing their research for this podcast, in your you did an interview with a show called 180 with Worm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you said that that children are often in disbelief when they find out that CASA volunteers are not paid. <laughs> so because it's a big commitment, right? Right. They're volunteers, but it's I mean, it's like taking on a second job, right? Like if you're going to be a CASA right? and there's a ton of training involved. How do you bring people into that? And because I'll say this, the people that I've talked to that are CASAs, they don't talk about it like it's a drain on their life, which for the level of commitment that it requires could easily become. So how do you, A, get people to make that commitment and then B, make it something that is life-giving and not depleting? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it speaks more to the type of person that wants to become a CASA. I think we see a lot of retired teachers and Mm -hmm. retired nurses that have given a lot in their profession over the years that really kind of see the joy in working 
with a child and helping them grow and learn things. And then once they retire, they still kind of want to have an element of yeah. that in their life. And so that seems to be a popular demographic of our volunteers are these retired teachers and nurses. But yeah, anyone can become a CASA volunteer. And so I think our organization is structured in a way where we have these advocate supervisors that oversee our CASA volunteers. And their job is to really just like help assist and prevent the burnout yeah. of our CASA volunteers. You know, we're only going to continue to grow as an organization if we keep the retention rates really high of our cost of volunteers. So it's like, where can we help you be the best volunteer that you can be? And yeah. so we have on our website, our great new website, yeah. we have this advocate resource portal now where people can go in and they can get all of these different resources. And then additionally, we have these message boards now that encourage this community within our volunteer base where they can talk to one another and know that they're not going at it alone. And yeah. so actually, you guys have been a huge help and assist in making this happen for our volunteers. And so that's a powerful tool right there as well. And then, you know, I think meeting the volunteers where they're at and figuring out like, what does appreciation and recognition yeah. look like for you? And I would say, I think a popular one is that they don't want any recognition or appreciation whatsoever. <laughs> you know, they want it to go towards their kids. They want it to go towards our program as a whole. But, you know, we do what we can and we have these really great swearing in ceremonies for our new CASA volunteers. We do an annual CASA conference every June where we have a keynote speaker and all of our volunteers have to do 12 hours of in-service educational hours. And yeah. so they can knock that out by attending this conference every year that's really well produced. We have a great training team that supports it. And so I think as a whole, our staff just does a really good job at supporting our CASA volunteers and making them feel really appreciated. Because not every child that a volunteer is working with is probably at a point where they know or understand how much the volunteer is giving to them. But to the start of this question is, you know, there was this kid that called our receptionist one day to clarify, like, does my cost volunteer get paid? Because he could not believe that concept that someone was just coming right. out of the goodness of their heart <laughs> to take him out every couple of weeks and spend time with him and just ask him a lot of questions. And so he called our office to clarify that was which was just really sweet. And I think that was anecdotal story that I shared on that, on yeah. that podcast. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So engaging volunteers is always a challenge for nonprofits. I mean, across the board. Again, you guys are asking a lot. So, I mean, you gave a little bit. Do you have one piece of specific advice that you would give to nonprofits for how to boost their engagement with volunteers or increase that? Yeah, yeah. Servant leadership, you know, is something that I personally really believe in. You know, I, I think having a really positive culture not just among the staff of a nonprofit, but one that kind of exudes externally out of the nonprofit. And so, you know, we have probably around 650 CASA volunteers right now that are all matched up with a kid, but then we have hundreds of other volunteers that are working in fundraising capacities. So we have yeah. like 70 people in our Friends of CASA auxiliary group. We have a Men of CASA group that's helping to spearhead efforts to recruit more male CASA volunteers. We have this diversity council group that um, is working on our diversity efforts to better mirror the demographics of our kids. Um, and then we have Kids for CASA programs where we have high school students and elementary grade mm -hmm. school clubs that are out there that are fundraising as well. And so 
the servant leadership mentality is kind of creating this culture where people's needs are being met and you're kind of creating a positive energy for people to kind of work in. And then kind of when you do make those asks, I think people are more apt to do it. And so I like being a part of these different auxiliary groups because you kind of find out, okay, like, like, what do you guys need in this volunteer role? Let's just yeah. talk about the fundraisers. What do you guys need right now to feel really fulfilled? How can we get you really aligned well with our mission? How can you be actively engaged and have a better understanding of our programs? And so once we can kind of first conquer that, then it's like, okay, well, what do you need to be an effective fundraiser or right. to raise awareness about our organization? And so you just meet people where they're at. And then I think when it comes time to kind of making a bigger ask of like, I need this of you, they're ready and willing to do it because yeah. they feel that connection with the organization and they feel that connection with the people working within the organization. And, and it just, it creates really good flow. That's really great. Let's shift to fundraising briefly. So chief strategy officer, there's a lot that that covers now, right? Because yeah. it's marketing, it's fundraising, it's, I'm assuming, looking at the strategy for the whole organization now. Yeah, for different parts of the yeah. organization. Yeah, so I work a lot with our CEO, Reagan, to kind of figure out where I'm needed and what kind of projects I should be working on. So yeah, it does cover a lot. But yeah, there's program things, there's marketing things, and there's definitely fundraising elements as well. And you guys just had your big... Gala. Gala? Yeah. Do you say gala or gala? Because this is the thing, right? Like, nobody says it right. I say gala. I say gala yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. So we had our gala on May 6th, <laughs> and we netted $1.1 which yes. is great. It was crazy. We had really awesome co-chairs, Karen Jordan and Nancy Eden, that led the charge this year. They did last year as well. And so it was super successful. We have an amazing board that a lot of them showed up, and they purchased tables and bid on the auction items. And it was, it was great. And then we had a video that was created by you all that that was aired during the program. So that was a remix video is how we have labeled it. Yeah. (laughs) There was a compilation of all of these different stories that we've shot over the years. Yeah. And then really pulling at kind of the different emotional elements from each of those videos. And so we were, we got the video back from Corey, who works at Rogue, and we actually restructured the entire event program because of how well. Oh, really? Vid- yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know that. <laughs> I, yet. I didn't and know Corey, that. No. And Corey doesn't know that. No, either. That's so funny. Yeah. But it turned out so well that we were like, this has to be the piece that leads into the fund the mission paddle raise, which is okay. the area where we raise the most amount of money. People sure. just raise their paddle and donate money starting at a hundred thousand dollar level. Yeah. And we had one of those people that they, they wow. gave out a hundred thousand dollars at the gala. And so, yeah, the video just accomplished so many goals that we wanted the guests at the gala to kind of see and know and understand. And, you know, one of the things that I know over the years is that we have to continually tell people what we do because as we spoke about earlier, it's a convoluted mission and we do so many different things. And so really having a piece that can effectively tell that story and showcase the good work that we're doing leading right into a very important element of our gala is critical. It's super important. And so, yeah, we got this great six and a half minute video back and we were like, yeah, this is the piece that we want to lead into right before that paddle raise section. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll also say is that Corey and your whole entire team, everyone does a really good job at kind of cultivating and creating these really safe spaces for these kids to feel like they can share and be mm. open and authentic and true and yeah. real about it. You know, there's a scene in the video where it's the advocate's name is Jeannie and the kid's name is Claire. And it's towards the end of the video. And Claire 
says, I don't think I would have made it without my Casa volunteer. And then Jeannie, she reaches out for Claire in the video clip and like touches her thigh a little bit. And it's this like unspoken moment that I think is one of the most powerful things that we've ever filmed as an organization. And I have such a vivid memory of sitting there behind the camera with Corey when that happened and just being like, I cannot believe that just happened. And then we just like got that on film because it was just such a true moment of this kid answering the question that I posed to her, like reflecting on it and then just answering really authentically and purely and and feeling comfortable and safe to do so. And it it was beautiful. And I don't think it's easy to create moments like that where people who can feel that safety to, no, to share like that. No, so, Corey's really great. At amazing. One of his strengths for sure. But back to fundraising. Recently, there was some articles that said that Governor Newsom is cutting $60 million from the foster care services down to $20 million. And a lot of that or all of it was specifically allocated for CASA. And with nonprofits, there just seems like there's a lot of unknown. And so you think things are going to go a certain way, something's told and then it's pulled or whatever. How are you guys dealing with that? How do you approach when those curveballs are thrown? That's a big one. It is. It is a big one. Yeah. And it's been kind of up and down. And so the new update that just happened last week is Mm. that the money's back in. Oh good. Yeah, yeah. Oh good. So, good, good, good. So the money's back in. Yeah. And so we so we are gonna receive the money now. And so it's going to California Casa, the CEO there is Sharon Lawrence, who used to run the San Diego program, and she's done a really great job at kind of leading this effort across the entire state. Okay. You know, and we're an advocacy organization. So right. we're gonna advocate that we do want to need this money for our program to run. And I know that she has the ambitious goal of getting every kid served in the entire state. And yeah. you know, I think there's like fifty-seven or nearly sixty thousand kids in care just in California alone. We have the most kids in foster care in the entire country. So the money got back in, but yeah, it was up and down for a minute. And, you know, what we're providing is a service to the county and to the state. And, you know, we're helping kids at a point where they are still children. And there is this foster care to prison pipeline that people talk about where, you know, our kids are the most vulnerable. The rates are very high for a kid in foster care. You know, teen pregnancy rates are high. Graduation rates are low. Unemployment's low. Homelessness is high. And so, like, they're not the best outcomes. And so in 2012, there was a law passed called AB 12 that was the extended foster care law here in California and it allows kids to stay in care until they turn 21. So that that was a good first step is that was a positive change. But we need more support. And I think getting support at a federal and state level is great because, you know, it's an investment in our community. Otherwise, we are privately funding all of these dollars. But we're adding an assist to the child welfare system as a whole, which is bureaucratic government system. Yeah. Last question regarding this. What do you think 2023 holds for CASA of Orange County? Like, is there something you're particularly excited about or that you guys something new or? Yeah, I think continued growth. You know, our family connections program that I used to run myself where I think we're going to be expanding it, hopefully in the near future. There seems to be a lot of efforts and talk right now about you know, family reunification and family finding efforts and what we can kind of do to make families stronger. You know, if you ask any one of our kids where they want to be 
nine times out of 10, they're going to say they want to be with their family, even if it was the most horrific abuse that they were experiencing at the hands of. And so, you know, what can we do to better help our kids stay within their families? And so I think doing more family finding work and getting it done at an earlier stage, so earlier intervention to help to find aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, second degree relatives, you know, anyone to help buffer and help the family and maybe identify someone that's willing to take in the kid is going to be most helpful. We are at a lack of resource parents, formerly called foster parents in Orange County and probably in the state as a whole. And so I think identifying these family members is going to be really critical, you know, for the success of the kids. And we know that that's where they want to be and where they should be. So I kind of see us in 2023 and probably for the next, you know, for the time being is that we're probably going to be expanding that and exploring that more yeah, with those programs. And that's an exciting space for us to be. We were the first CASA organization in the country to develop this family connections model of doing family finding work and and reaching out to these long lost family members and bringing them in to be connections to these kids. Cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. We always end with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Just quick answers. What's the one thing that makes you feel connected? smiling faces yeah yeah when i walk into your office there's smiling faces here when i walk into my own office there's smiling faces and yeah i think i connect to that so yeah yeah, that's it perfect yeah how do you connect to your community through work i would say a lot of it has been you know i'm obviously super passionate about what i do at casa and i i've been there now for going on 13 years and so i do feel like that is a big connection point for me in orange county it's how i've been able to meet a lot of people and network within this community and and also be a part of this service and program that's providing something really special cool yeah who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch Barack Obama. There you go. Yeah. Can I come? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll make a video of it. Who in the world of nonprofit community do you think we should interview next? Oh, interesting. I would assume my friend Kendra is probably Kendra Perrier is maybe on your list or she's on the list. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't think we've booked her yet, but, okay, I don't, yeah. but she's for sure on the list. Yeah. I just don't yeah, know yeah. If it's so yeah, Kendra is someone that used to work with me at Casa and then I worked with her very briefly at Orangewood Foundation as well. And and I think that she's amazing and yeah. super smart and she's an avid reader as am I. And I love her for that. And, you know, you ask her any question and she has so many reference points that she'll bring up. Yeah. And I think she's incredible. She's great. Yeah. I love Kendra. She's yeah. great. Who do you look up to or who inspires you in the world of nonprofits? You know, so Sharon Lawrence, who I mentioned earlier, who's Mm -hmm. the CEO for the California CASA program. So I think she was the CEO for the San Diego CASA program for 20, 25 years. Um, Yeah. And then she took on the, the umbrella, the state umbrella program. And now she's their leader as well. And going on 13 years at Casa of Orange County is that I can see how year over year you become stronger and more knowledgeable and everything becomes a little bit easier. And then because of that, I think you become more effective in what you're doing. And I'm also a strong believer that people give to people. And so when you're able to kind of build strong relationships with your supporters, with your volunteers or whatever, and they see you year over year, it makes those connections really strong between them and the nonprofit. So yeah, Sharon is someone that I definitely admire in that regard. Nice. And last question, what aspect of your job brings you the most joy besides doing podcasts with me? Obviously, obviously that would be number one. Number two. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Working with my team. Yeah. You know, I love my coworkers a lot. 
we have a book club that we're doing right now. And so out of our 47 staff members, we have 17 people right now that are part of the book club. And, oh, and that's I, cool. Yeah. I love the book club days because it brings all of us together in a roundtable format and, and one person will work on questions for the week. And then we have these great kind of discussions that we are, you know, mostly work aligned, um, but sometimes not. And we're just able to kind of build this really amazing culture at our organization that I'm super proud of. And so... Yeah, I love that piece, awesome. piece and aspect of my job, yeah. Are the books in the book club just whatever, or are they related to what you guys So we do? vote. They are pretty aligned with our work stuff. Right now we're reading Atomic Habits by mm. James Clear, yeah. and that's a good one. And, and in our last book, we read A Place Called Home by David Ambrose, who is a former youth in foster care who grew up homeless in New York City. And he's a friend of mine, and he lives in Los Angeles, and he actually came to our office for the oh. book club discussion with our entire staff. And so that was amazing because people got to wow. read. Yeah, it's his memoir and he joined us for the discussion and people got to ask him questions directly. And Very so cool. it's great. And then, you know, we've also read The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker and Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Yeah. And so, yeah, usually very work aligned books, but I think it's working and we're growing and, and there are things that are happening internally that are making us stronger because of these discussions. So it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and doing this. We love working with you. You've likewise great friend and uh, we just looking forward to what's next for us. Yeah. Uh, where can people find information about CASA? Yeah, casaoc.org. Check out our amazing website that Rogue <laughs> has built. It's beautiful. We're super proud of it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Here we are at the end. You made it. Thank you so much for listening this far. And if you'd like to hear more from Nonprofit Connect brought to you by Rogue Creatives, well, then make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you don't miss out because you don't want to miss out. You want to be on the you want to be on the in, you know, you want to be on the inner circle. You want to know what's going on. Also, if you're interested in working with us or want to reach out or tell us how amazing we are, visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. You can get all the info there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, we won't see you. We'll hear you. Well, you'll hear us. Well, whatever. Bye. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with the team at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Ella Lamprell of Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. LL Amprella Fame does our booking and guest relations. And Belinda Carter-Thompson of Rogue is the glue that holds it all together. We'd love to give a shout out to our amazing guests for joining us this episode. And thank all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review. Preferably, you know, five stars with some words saying how amazing we are. That's always helpful. Also, tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. This has been a Rogue Creatives production.